Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts. And today it is my pleasure to have as my guest, Christine Manchek. Let me tell you a little bit about Christine. Through her own grief journey, after the physical loss of her 18-year-old son in 2014 at the hands of a drunk driver, Christine experienced successful therapies such as eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR, induced after-death communication, or IADC, and loving hearts connections. With her grief counselor, I was able to build a continued bond with her son, Andrew, in spirit, which has led to many accomplishments with him by her side. She attributes her resilience and growth to him, other parents ahead of her on this journey, and many spiritual professionals along the way who have inspired her. Christine lives a truly spirit-led life where she has found that joy and peace are possible to coexist with grief. This has helped her to discover her soul's greatest purpose of supporting others who have experienced the ultimate loss of a child with lots of love and compassion. Christine is the shining light mom of Andrew in spirit and the founding affiliate leader of the Northeast Ohio chapter of the Helping Parents Heal International Grief Organization. She also serves her local community through two nonprofit organizations. As a friend of the Angel Committee member for the Christmas Box Angel of Hope Children's Memorial in Stowe, Ohio, and as a board member and speaker for the Magic of Life Foundation Court Intervention Program. Other achievements include writing as a contributor to the Grief Diaries book series, victim impact statements, and We Will Survive. She is a certified master grief coach, a Yushui Holy Fire Reiki practitioner, Unity Prayer Chaplain, and lastly, serves spirit as a loving heart connections facilitator. And with that, Christine, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast. It is a pleasure having you here today. Yes, thank you, Dave. Hello. It's just um, an amazing opportunity to be here, and I just really appreciate you having me. Christine and I were friends on Facebook, but we got reintroduced to each other through Michael Gersh, who is the founder of the Magic of Life Court Intervention Program. And I know you and Michael have been involved in doing joint presentations. Um, to DWI offenders, am I correct? Who are, yes, are, that's are, correct. And Michael said, you got to have Christine on your podcast. I have Michael on, on my earlier episode. And he said, you got to have Christine on your podcast. So I we connected and I realized, my goodness, we had a lot of uh, friends in common. And yes. we had been friends on Facebook prior, but we just had lost contact with each other Um for a few years, and all of a sudden, we just, it just through serendipity and through divine intervention, here we are. Here we are, yes. Yep. So, 
let's get right down to it as far as the questions go. Okay. So, Christine, please tell our listeners about the experiences that have influenced your current life path and choices. Well, Dave, you know that the absolute turning point in my life, of course, was in 2014 when my 18-year-old son, Andrew, transitioned uh, to spirit after a fatal car crash uh, that was caused by a drunk driver. And it just changed the whole trajectory of my life and, of course, you know, my husband and children's lives as well. And uh, they were 14 years old and 18 years old at the time. But um, I had signs and synchronicities and experiences early on from Andrew and just letting us know that he was not gone. Um, physically, yes, but his soul and his energy uh, just was, was all around us and letting us know that he still exists. And, um, you know, initially my husband and I attended a grief group that was sponsored through the funeral home where his services was um, at the time. And we had attended this, this gathering and, you know, I just looked around the circle as everyone was introducing themselves and it was kind of a mixed bag of losses. You know, there were losses, losses of a spouse, there was losses of, of a parent, and just a couple of people that were there for child loss. There were actually a few people there that had been going to this circle for 10 years. And, you know, I just knew that I did not want to be sitting in that circle in the same grief that I, that I was in at the time. I did not want to be there in 10 years. So that really set me on a path to find some hope and some healing. We just did not want to be, you know, stuck and wallow in that muck. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I think that you had uh, talked about that a little bit in your book as well, is about, you know, grief being a passage. It's, you know, not a place to stay, but to move through. And it's not easy, not easy for sure. But, um, I was determined to find another way to to heal, and I contacted a local mom who was about seven years down the road in her own journey after losing her son, and she told me about a local grief group counselor who was very spiritual, and thank goodness that I had found her because she validated, you know, everything that I was feeling, everything that I was experiencing with Andrew. Um, so it was really just kind of a, a breath of fresh air to, to have my, my grief validated and my experiences, um, validated as well, because, you know, for, I didn't, I didn't want to feel like being told that I was crazy or, you know, that I shouldn't have that belief or whatever, because I think a lot of times, you know, old belief systems can kind of come into play with some of that. So mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that, uh, interestingly enough that my former grief counselor, J Jane Bissler, I think that you said you knew her. Yeah, I know um, Jane. I know yeah. Jane. Yeah. 
Yeah, at the time, uh, she was attending a conference with several other uh, professional counselors, and the meeting, I believe, was somewhere in PA. Um, and it was so interesting because they had a guest medium just for fun, you know, kind of uh, to break up the the meeting. And uh, this medium had come to the table where she was sitting. And had asked if if there was anyone here who could identify a young man that she had there that was uh, that had recently passed in a car crash, and you know asked if anyone at the table had recognized this this young man. And of course, you know Jane, uh, my counselor, spoke up and acknowledged that that was indeed my son Andrew in spirit. And you know at our next meeting, she pulled me aside afterward and said, I have a message for you uh, from your son. And she had told me where she had been in this experience. And the message was, tell my mom we are still connected. And from that point on, you know, I read and I studied and I tried every different modality that was out there to raise my vibration to connect with my son. Wow, that is a uh, very interesting and uplifting account of your experiences. And I, I like the fact that you said you you were there in that, the grief support group and said, I do not want to be wallowing in the muck of my grief 10 years later. And and I really believe after that, that initially, we need to wallow in the muck so that we can be enveloped by our pain, learn that we can work through that pain, or eventually have our pain teach us about ourselves. And, you know, one of the things I have learned is that pain really requires that it be, it be felt, that it be experienced, that we can't suppress it or go through it. But we have, to, we have to experience it to work through it and to break through to the other side of grief where we are reengaging in life with meaning and purpose. But we have to let it envelop us. We can't suppress it, suppress it, but we can't stay wallowed in the muck permanently because that prevents forward movement. Absolutely. And I think that contributes to complicated grief. And um, I love the fact that you got that message from the medium, from Andrew, saying that we are still connected. As you know, it, it, it took me about seven years after my daughter's Janine's transition to realize that we could truly transform the relationship. And again, as you know, that was with the help of, of, of Reverend Patty Farino, who through pure serendipity, we connected and she, she showed, me a, showed me a perspective that uh, just totally changed the way I looked at everything about life and death and, and life after death. Because I love to hear stories about our loved ones, I love to know who our deceased children or loved ones, our transition children or loved ones are through through the, the person's eyes. I'm going to ask you if you would to tell our listeners about your son, Andrew, about his life and about the legacy that he, he has created and continues to create. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely love talking about Andrew. You know, sometimes people feel that, you know, bringing him up or you know, talking about him might make me sad. And that's just not true. And I always say, I am just 
so happy to talk about Andrew, but thank you for asking. Um, you know, Andrew was just a typical teenager, a happy-go-lucky and, you know, kind, happy-go-lucky kid, just, you know, a little bit shy, I think, uh, especially around adults. He just really loved hanging out with his friends and um, absolutely loved sports. He played t-ball uh, all the way through, um, and played baseball all the way through high school. And um, he was just an awesome center fielder out there on the field. He played for a few uh, different travel baseball leagues. And, you know, after baseball was over, you know, he went right into football season. And, uh, you know, he was just had a very competitive spirit, both on and off the field. Um, he was just really that kind of kid. You know, he he gave sports, you know, it was just either all or nothing. Right. And uh, he also played some rest, rec basketball and wrestled for a couple of years. So he was just always very active and, you know, always listening to music and hanging out with his friends and um always just love to, uh, you know, hang out with family. And it was just, he was just a great kid. You know, he was never the biggest kid out there on the field in sports, but um, he just always played with a, with a big heart and always wore jersey number 32, that of the legendary Jim Brown of the Cleveland Browns. And, uh, you know, I get actually the number 32 um, all the time as a sign, either on the clock or, you know, when I'm out somewhere, it could be, you know, a license plate, could be uh, a table number or an order number. You know, he's always showing up in different places, <laughs> you know, as number 32. So um, I always, always acknowledge it. So. And I get the um, same, th I get the same thing with Janine. She, tr she transitioned down 3103. And I see a lot of three ones, three one oh three. In fact, I got into my car this morning, um, car we just recently purchased, and the odometer said three hundred and thirteen miles or three thirteen. So that was another to me another nudge, another sign saying, Hey dad, I'm I'm here. I yep. yeah, I'm never that far away. So Absolutely. Just just a thought away. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, Andrew really didn't know what he wanted to do after high school, um, you know, but we did some local college visits together and he applied and was, was accepted, um, you know, at a, a few local universities. We have Kent State University right here, Youngstown State University and um, Akron University as well. And he was interested in um, business communications and um just seemed like, you know, that was the direction that he was, he was going to be heading. Um, you know, he was always kind of the class clown, making people laugh, very quick witted. Um, and he just always seemed to have this perpetual grin on his face that would just make you wonder what he was up to next. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and it was, it was hard to stay mad at him because of that impish grin, you know, he, it it would just melt my heart. So um, you know, but all of those hopes and dreams, um, you know, would never happen. And, you know, um, we went from planning a high school graduation party to planning a funeral in the, in the blink of an eye. Um, so that's really kind of leading into, uh, you know, into what happened, uh, 
to Andrew. So I don't know if you wanted me to just continue with with that, but yeah. um Good. Chris Christine, keep going. Okay. Um yeah, so like I said, we we went from planning a joyous occasion to planning a funeral. Um, you know, there was a, a time when I'm trying to think of, well, uh, what had happened was um, Andrew had let us know that he was going to a concert with a couple of friends that um, was a local, it was a local concert. So in Cleveland, about 40 minutes from us. And, you know, we had been a little bit upset with them because, you know, we were trying to prepare for his graduation party which was going to to happen, you know, the next day. And, um, you know, it had kind of led into, um, into a phone call later that night. You know, I checked on him and said, you know, it's getting very late. And, you know, we hope that you'll be able to get up in the morning to help us with all of the preparations that need to be done. And he responded that, that he would. And, um, promise to, I promise mom I'll get up and, and help. But, uh, you know, as every parent's, you know, worst nightmare, you know, we got that phone call at about 1 a.m. that the boys had been struck from behind uh, on the highway by a drunk driver and it caused the car to flip three times and Andrew was ejected. Uh, the other two boys were treated and released at the hospital, but they had taken Andrew too. Um, to the Akron General uh, Trauma Center. And uh, so that was really what kind of set us on this path, you know, just that def devastation of, you know, um, how do we get through this, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's really what led me to also advocate for um, presenting with Michael Gersh at the Magic of Life Foundation um, program. So I know I probably got a little bit ahead of myself, but, um, you know, Andrew very early on, like I said, you know, had let us know that he was still around. Um, and I do know that, you know, a few days after his burial, I was in bed and about 3 a.m., I got up to get a glass of water, and I didn't have my glasses on, so I couldn't see very well. And I had descended the steps and saw a figure sitting on the couch. Um, you can see the steps behind me here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, came down the steps, and there was, you know, off to the front of the house is um, a couch along the wall. And, you know, I thought it was my daughter sleeping on the couch in the living room. And, you know, but as I drew closer, I started to see very clearly that it it was definitely human form, but covered in Andrew's St. Louis Rams blanket um, and also had a hoodie on with the hood up, but in the face was energy and it was kind of like seeing the fuzziness of a TV, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I just felt 
guided. I could feel this was Andrew and I wasn't afraid, but I felt guided not to touch, not to talk, only to see. And, you know, at the same time I was being told, you know, I had this thought entered my mind that he was there to assimilate everything that had happened with his transition. And at the same time, my brain was trying to tell me that I was seeing things, I was um, tired, I was grieving, and, you know, I just walked to the water cooler and I kind of kept my eye on on him and I drank my water. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just felt guided back up the mm-hmm. stairs to bed past him. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. I just mm-hmm. can't even imagine how to really explain it. But um, I later learned that Andrew was appearing as a post-material person, which is a term that I learned from Dr. Mark Pitstick, and uh, that his energy body was very much still alive. Yes. Yeah, but I do believe that. I mean, when it comes down to it, we're all energy anyway. That Once we leave the physical body, our consciousness and our energy continues to survive. And we can access that if we're open to it, if we believe in it, um, and if we're receptive to it. The other thing that struck me is the time. is 3 a.m. And 3 is a very, as you know, sacred number. I mean, I think, I think of 3, I think of the Holy Trinity, you know. And it's a number that's grounded in... Um, spiritual knowing. And, um, so I, I looked at that and I, I looked at the, just the time and that, that kind of struck me as well too, as all, as all being in alignment as all being is, is what I it agree. needed to be. Um, and there have been individuals that have had, you know, spirit visitations or have seen spirit energy. I mean, I remember, and this is before I began, began to believe in the survival of our consciousness and our, our ability to connect with it. About a month after my mother transitioned in 1994, I was in our bedroom. My wife Sherry's in my bedroom, and I was looking at a looking at a chair in the far corner of the room, and I saw my mother sitting, smiling at me, as a 24 year old woman, and that was her obituary picture. And from what I've read about accounts of the afterlife, uh, individuals who had near death experiences individuals in the afterlife tend to age out at about 30. We see them as a younger version of themselves. And, you know, I didn't believe it that I thought it was maybe indigestion. I thought it, cause you know, I had had a big Mac earlier. I think ah, I probably had some indigestion or mild stomach ache, or maybe I got a dose of poppy seeds that caused me to hallucinate a little bit. <laughs> but as I look back and, and, that moment now and in, in looking at where I am at this point, I realized that, yeah, that was an actual visitation from her. And I could look back on that now and say, yeah, that happened. And this really literally planted the seeds for, for me to, to begin to embrace the perspective of the survival of the consciousness and transforming the relationship with our loved ones when I met Patty Farina. I I believe that as well. And, you know, um, my husband actually had his own experience as well when we were in the hospital with Andrew, uh, when a, everything was, was going on. Um, he, 
you know, had the traumatic brain injury and we were, you know, waiting to get an MRI and, um, you know, his, his body, his organs just continued to shut down very quickly, um, over the course of, of that week. And, um, there was a time when we were staying overnight in this room right outside of the ICU. And it was just a very small room, you know, kind of like a, uh, a little conference room. And, you know, we had made bed pallets in there and there was a small couch, which my husband had laid down. And again, it was probably 1 a.m. or so where my husband felt a nudge on his shoulder and, you know, he kind of woke up and, and looked over his shoulder and he saw Andrew was light. His hands were light. His, his uh, head was light, you know, just a wearing the hospital gown, which was kind of flowy. And, you know, you could, but you could see his legs, but they were kind of translucent is how my husband described it. And my husband thought he was dreaming and he just kind of turned back over um, and tried to close his eyes and go back asleep. And he felt the nudge again on his shoulder and turned back around and, you know, Andrew was, was still there, but then he kind of dissipated and I just remember him jumping up saying, I have to go see Andrew right now. And, you know, so he was going to, you know, back into the ICU to go see Andrew. And, um, you know, we truly believe that at that point in time, that was when he chose to leave and leave his body. He mm -hmm. probably said, I am not getting back in that body and I am out of here. So, um, you know, my husband didn't tell me about this for a few days because he thought that I would think that he was crazy. And, you know, and I said, I absolutely believe every bit of that. And coming from my husband, you know, that was pretty profound. So just another example, another experience that, you know, we were, I, I truly believe, I feel it was a gift. So. Yeah, and I truly believe we live in a multidimensional universe and we can access those dimensions at any time. And, and again, that the individuals who are living in another another plane, spiritual plane, can connect with us at any time. The relationships are two ways. Um, as you mentioned, we don't have to wait for a sign for our loved ones. We can make that connection on our own. And once we do that, it just opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Absolutely. You mentioned the Magic of Life Foundation uh, with Michael Gersh. So let's talk about that. Let's segue right into that. How did okay. you get involved with the Magic of Life Foundation and how has talking about Andrew's life and legacy helped with, with the individuals who come through that program? How has that helped you move, move through grief? Well, I believe that we were introduced by a, a mutual friend of ours and, um, you know, let me just say that, you know, the Magical Life Foundation is an impaired driving intervention program that is through our lo local court system um, for OVI offenders, and um, it, they're court-ordered to attend um, as part of, you know, kind of their treatment plan. 
Um, you know, and like I said, I was introduced to Michael Gersh and um, the magic of life by a mutual friend who thought that that would help me uh, in my grief journey to not only cope, but to, um, you know, advocate by sharing Andrew's story. And, um, you know, Michael and I met up at a, a local Starbucks and I, I brought like a little photo book, probably about this thick <laughs> of Andrew and told him all about Andrew, told him our story and, um, and the rest is history. He had asked me to join the program and, you know, I was, I was a bit scared and I was a bit reluctant, um, because public speaking was not my strength at all, but, um, Andrew had different plans for me. (laughs) Um, you know, but I could feel his love and support every time I approached the podium and, um, in the courtroom. So, you know, and there, there's a quote that I love that says, you know, comfort zones are a nice place to be, but nothing ever grows there. So, um, you know, I really kind of use that as, as my mantra. And, um, I would say that since we are a local family, you know, my, my kids grew up here, um, you know, it really hits close to home, especially with parents who come through, um, who come through the system that may have known Andrew or may have known us. So it it hits a little closer for them. And, and to know that this is really a senseless and preventable act mm-hmm. um, that can be avoided um, and not to have the mindset that it won't happen to them. And, you know, it really is powerful because we give the perspective of a son losing his mother, which is Michael losing his mother as an infant and growing up without a mother and um, a best friend. So he goes over what happened with his best friend and also a mother losing a son, which is my perspective. Um, So, you know, we're really giving a faceted, you know, perspective of how impaired driving impacts everyone involved. And afterwards, you know, people usually come up to us and they will thank us, you know, hugs and handshakes. And, you know, they'll say things like it was a a wake up call for them or, you know, um, they couldn't imagine having to be in our shoes, you know, and saying that with tears in their eyes. And thank you for making me realize that, you know being here for my kids is more important than, than alcohol and getting behind the wheel of a car. Um, but then you also have a handful of people that just, um, sometimes they'll sleep during the presentation or, (laughs) you know, they'll walk out the door and say nothing. So, but, you know, from mine and Michael's perspective that if we just reach one person with our message, then, you know, that's a good day at the office. So. With my past experience of working with individuals with alcohol use issues or other substance use issues, these individuals are at varying levels of motivation to change their behavior. But those are going to are are open to changing their behavior and are motivated. We'll hear the message. Others that won't, the seeds will be planted. But you never know down the road what may happen. That could just say, oh, geez, I remember what Michael and Christine said at that presentation. Now it makes sense. So 
And we can never truly judge the long-term impact of anything that any service that we do. Um, you know, it can it can impact individuals in probably the least likely way possible. And you know, that's one of the things I've learned over the years is that we never truly know the impact of what of the tracks that we 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 leave behind or leave with a certain group of individuals. So, what are the Oh, sorry about that. Oh, no, I was just totally agree agreeing with you on that. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, it's good. Total agreement's also nice, too. That gets you back, that gets you back <laughs> okay. on the podcast. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I really tell my guests and I tell the listeners, challenge me. You know, if, you, if there's something you don't agree with, present it, but present it in a way that's respectful where we could have a conversation about it. Um, so, but yeah, I... I like being challenged. I like being questioned because that tells me that people are listening, they're thinking, and they're thinking critically. So, but anyway, what are the unique challenges that occur as a result of losing a loved one suddenly as a result of a drunk driving accident? The second part of my question is how can grief coaches and therapists best support families who have experienced the death of a loved one under, this, under those circumstances? <clears throat> Well, I think that the unique grief challenges here are the fact that more often than not <clears throat> is that this type of loss is preventable. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to be driving impaired these days, and that's just so, so hard to accept that, you know, there is something like this that could happen just because someone made the wrong decision to drink and drive. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. My throat's going out on me. Anyhow, I just, um, you know, thought that maybe Andrew might still be here had this, had this not happened. Uh, it's just a senseless and preventable act. And, um, you know, the anger in the early days was really excruciating. So, um, it was literally eating me alive. And I think that's where, um, you know, the therapists and the grief coaches could really help in the very beginning um, because there's there's nothing really, I would say, special about the type of circumstances per se, but I do believe that the best thing I learned early on was you know, breathing techniques and, you know, meditation tools, uh, Reiki energy healing is what helped me the most uh, to release some of that anger. And uh, not saying that it was easy by any means, and it took some time, definitely took some time. But later, around three, three or four years into my grief journey, I did do some of the EMDR therapy the IADC modalities that you had talked about earlier in my bio. And um, another thing was evidential medium readings were invaluable to my healing. And, you know, I just think it's important to have counselors and uh, people who support and, and recommend those types of things to help in the healing journey. Yeah, I, I, in the spirit of individualized treatment, absolutely. And, you know, with my students that I have in my death, dying, and bereavement class at Utica University, we talk about specifically 
the role of evidentiary mediums in the debt system and how they have such a prominent role in helping individuals connect with their loved ones on the other side. But I also tell them that you can objectively steer somebody to, to a medium without compromising your own beliefs. If you, let's say, for example, you don't believe in the validity of mediums. If a client comes to you and says, well, I want to, I want to look for a medium, you just can't say, well, I don't believe in mediums, so I can't help you. You have to, right. the client drives the bus, so you have to meet the client where they're at. So, but there are some ways that you can objectively steer an individual towards finding a really competent evidentiary medium without compromising your own belief systems. And you used a variety of different modalities. You use IADC, you use DMDR, you use loving heart connections. You just didn't rely on one modality. You used a variety of different things to help reshape your perspective and redefine the world that you chose to live in. So, um, and I believe a variety of different perspectives is helpful and that the individual should be empowered to choose what perspectives are going to work for them or practices are going to work for them. Yes, I I feel strongly that, uh, you know, going into this, I had belief systems that the way that I was brought up, you know, that it was wrong, you know, to go to a medium or to believe <clears throat> that Andrew still existed. And, you know, I just had to release that because that's not what I was feeling. That's not what I was experiencing. And I had to stay true to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I just had this knowing. I just had this knowing that I had to follow that lead. And uh, I'm glad that I did. Our intuition is normally our best guide. And we need to, to really impress upon others that to trust their intuition, that their intuition, 99% out of 100 100% of the time is not going to steer them wrong. Tell us about the mission of Umbrellas of Hope, what resources you provide, and how they help individuals move through and transform their grief. Yes, um, the mission of Umbrellas of Hope initially, when I first started putting that website together in 2018, was because I was, I was meeting with that mom and, you know, she would, you know, give me this information and I had attended the Helping Parents Heal conference as well that same year and, you know, met some other fantastic moms who had also lost children. And I just really wanted to find a way to share resources. So I just put together a collection of you know, various local resources that would help families to, who have experienced the loss of a child. So it is specific to child loss. Um, It's just a collection of books, mediums, other websites, um, local counselors, um, international grief support groups, such as the Compassionate Friends and Helping Parents Heal just a collection of a little bit of everything because my hope was that in creating and collecting all of this information in one place that anyone that I referred there would find something that resonates with them because not everything there will 
And, you know, and that's okay. They can just take that and put that aside for another day. But I had just really started putting it together from everything that I was experiencing and everything that I tried and anything that I learned about. And it just went up on the website and in thoughts and in hopes that it would help someone else as well. And it was just easier to refer them to the website rather than trying to uh, remember to text or email them or look up the name of the book or the medium or the counselor, what have you. It's all there. So that was that was the goal. And I I do hope that it's helpful in some way because sometimes in early grief, we we don't have the time, you know, the time and the energy to contribute to looking up stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes we are just so limited when we're grieving that um, it can be exhausting um, to look for anything and to search and scroll. And um, so it's just my hope that, you know, people who have checked out the website have found something valuable and meaningful to them there. So. I have browsed your website and given what I've seen from the resources, there is something there for everybody at any, any phase of their grief, whether it's early, middle or later grief. So I'm glad that you have included something for everybody, um, along the grief journey. So that then I'll make sure that your website is in the pro the program and show notes when the episode goes live. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Give our listeners one or two takeaways from your life path that can help them effectively navigate their life challenges. I would say to be open, uh, be open to all possibilities and perspectives, um, you know, release expectations and, you know, old belief systems that in time will bring you so much peace. So I, that's number one is just to, to be open. And secondly, I would say to just be a life, a lifelong student. That's really kind of my mantra that I lead with is just to never stop learning and, you know, to turn your pain into purpose and find something meaningful to you that not only helps you to cope, but also helps also helps other people and helps your heart by being of service and being a light to other people that may be on the same path. And the fact that you mentioned that we are lifelong learners brought a smile to my face because the mantra of the Teaching Journeys podcast is that we are all students and teachers. Let's learn from each other. Oh, and okay. so that was well, there really you go. that was right. You got a synchronistic in alignment, serendipitous, however you put I was I was smiling when you said that. I said, yep, that falls right in line yes. with um, the type of individuals I, I want to have on, the, on the, the podcast. So thank you for that, uh, Christine. Finally, this gives this is the opportunity for you to promote yourself a little bit. How can people contact you about your services? Where can they find you? And what events or projects do you currently have going on in addition to the uh, Magical Life Foundation? Yeah, so um, they can contact me through my website, umbrellasofhope.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. Uh, there is a contact button there uh, that will go directly to my email. Or um, I also have a separate Gmail account. Um, I can get email there as well uh, at cmonchek. That's M-O-N-C-H-E-C-K at gmail.com. And I, I would be happy to, you know, respond to the email just as soon as, as I can. And um, the projects that I have coming up are quite a few. Um, we have the Christmas box Angel of Hope Children's Memorial Candle Lighting that's coming up. And that is in memory of child, all children gone too soon. And it takes place every, sun, every second Sunday of, De of December every year. Um, and as you know, our mutual friend, our dear Sarah Rubel is the founder of the Stowe Angel of Hope. And I serve on the front on the friends of the angel committee. And I lovingly handle all of the brick orders and the installation and dedication, uh, that we have every spring and fall. So that is a continued, uh, thing that I do to give back to the community for those who have experienced child loss. And I'm also accepting new clients uh, to facilitate one-on-one -on -one sessions uh, through Loving Heart Connections. It's a beautiful modality that helps to connect with our loved ones in spirit or our spiritual guidance. And it's really meant for those who are either deep in grief or those who really kind of struggle to get into that meditation mode. So it really is a lovely modality. Um, to to experience and there's more information about that on my website as well there's a, a tab dedicated to mm -hmm. the information on loving heart connections and it is out also by the way it's backed by q analysis research that um, dr jane bissler had done along with her team that she had uh, conducted this research and that research can be found at the website clearingyoursoul.com and you will also find there on that website not only the research but a list of professional and paraprofessional uh, loving heart connections facilitators like myself. Well, it sounds like there's a variety of ways to get in touch with you. So you won't be a hard person to find for anybody that's interested in reaching out. So uh, Christine, thank you so much for being a guest on the Teaching Journeys podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation today, and I know we're going to be having future conversations down the road. Absolutely. I am just so grateful for this opportunity to to come on and to speak with you and to share my journey with with others out there that may be experiencing the same the same path. And to just um, really grateful, Dave. Thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And Michael Gersh was very adamant that he recommended oh. you a couple of different <laughs> times to me. And Michael can be very persistent, but I think once we had the initial conversation, I said, "Yeah, you're going to be, you're going to be a great fit for for the podcast." And I'm just so grateful that you took the time to uh, to spend with me and our listeners today. Again, thank you so much, and thanks, Mike. <laughs> thanks, Mike. And with that. That is another wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace.
Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.